this is Kevin Evans with the chapter by chapter life class at Crossroads Assembly of God and it is August 1st and we are tackling Matthew 19. Um, so far in Matthew, uh, we, Matthew has been chronicling the uh, life and ministry of Christ and we have had several chapters where uh, Christ has withdrawn around the city of Ga- the, the Sea of Galilee, and in order to stay away from the cities where the Pharisees are actively hunting him, and he is trying to he has been preparing his disciples for his eventual uh, uh, crucifixion, so that they can carry on his ministry. And so it's been all about preparing his disciples. So Matthew is trying to chronicle all of the lessons and important miracles that Christ has performed in order to um, uh, have a documentation of that. And of course, he's responding to Mark. uh, And by the time that Matthew started writing his book, and I'm sure that he was already preaching and ministering after Christ's ascension at that point, he's using Mark as text and coming up short a lot because Mark wasn't there for a lot of the things that Matthew was there for. So Matthew is trying to fill in all the gaps and write a better record. So in chapter 19, Christ has kind of finished with his preparation and he's starting to make his move toward Jerusalem and he leaves Galilee and he heads south down into uh, uh, Judea. And so he's he's in the northern kingdom now, which is where the the Galilee is, and he travels south. I don't know how many miles it is. It's 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 a couple days walk, and um, he ends up being on the east bank of the Jordan River, and so which which is kind of on the far east border of Israel. So he's still in Israel, but it's he's right on the border of Israel. He hasn't entered Jerusalem, and evidently it's just above. Jerusalem and and Ron is trying to figure out on the map where this is I, I and I, 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 I could I could see in your face what you were doing and uh, give it up I'm still not quite sure where he was either just based <laughs> upon this reference but he does seem to be on his way into Jerusalem I think he overshot Jerusalem just a little bit in order to be in the east bank of the Jordan but maybe he's walking around and maybe he has his reasons you know okay not not a big concern so uh, there, are, there are three sections in this. Uh, first, it uh, has a discussion about divorce, and then it has a segment where uh, Christ insists that children should come to him, and then we have uh, a segment that is usually called the rich young ruler. Uh, so chapter 19, verse 1 through 12 from the NIV. When Jesus had finished saying these things, meaning chapter 18, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be reunited to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. And Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others are made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Okay. So, in our world of cheap and easy marriage and cheap and easy divorce, Okay, it's probably never been cheap, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Hit the drive. Is it? It's cheaper for the women, Lester says, from personal experience. <laughs> oh my. Um. Okay. 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 We're we're dragging this in all directions. Um. Let's look at the history here. Uh, if you look at the, remember that he has moved to this spot that's closer to Jerusalem, and he's healing multitudes. The crowds followed and healed them there. He's healing multitudes. I think that in and of itself is kind of significant. Multitudes. It, the Greek word for this is it's huge, uncountable crowds. I have no idea how many people there were. And he's healing them. All of them. I think the implication, he's not just picking that one guy out, like certain faith healers I know and watch occasionally watch on television. He's not getting this message from the Holy Spirit saying that I think someone named Johnny has cancer. He's healing everybody. He's walking by Hunt Regional Hospital and emptying it. I think that's an interesting picture. We don't see that picture with, with faith healing ministries these days, do we? Isn't that interesting? Because it depends entirely upon their faith, as a faith healer would say. But I don't, I, don't, I don't know that that's true. I think Christ illustrates people's faith. Christ healed people because Christ chose to heal people. Huh. Well, if he's emptying the hospital, that's going to get people's attention. You know, the hospital staff, for one. Oh, wow. We're out of business. <laughs> um, you know, it's going to have ramifications. You're going to have all these extra healthy people that we're begging that aren't anymore. And, you know, uh, don't you think the employment situation in Jerusalem may have had some kind of adjustment from all these able-bodied people suddenly showing up? It, you know, the, the ramifications are endless from an economic and social point of view. People are going to notice that he's having that kind of an effect. Uh, and the Pharisees are upset about this. You know, uh, they're, they're losing power. He's, he's, a, he's, an, uh, he's a destabilizing factor in their little status quo. So 
They continue their harassment of him. They keep trying to find some thing that they can attack him with that will that will give them an opportunity to bring charges against him. They want to get rid of him. Does that have a clock on it? That doesn't help me at all. Okay. Uh, Okay, Ron, when it gets to 9.30, I need you to point at me. Whenever this class is over, I need you to point at me. Okay. Thank you. Uh, So, the Pharisees are challenging him and they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce? Well, they're not going to pick just any old random subject. This has been discussed at length back at the temple before they sent them in. This is a controversial subject in Jerusalem at the time. Uh, Even the priests weren't real in agreement on how they were handling divorce because how they were handling divorce was badly in in Jerusalem. There was really no standard of marriage. They were being very American about it all. Uh, In the Mosaic law, uh, as Christ very rightfully says, uh, marriage is given to man. And when two people become married, they become as one flesh. Human beings, in theory, are to marry for life. We, 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 we connect. Uh, there's, a, there's a spiritual connection between a married couple as well as a physical and a mental one. You know, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a big deal. And as much as I like to fuss about my wife, you know, um, she's, she's my other half. Um, my other half isn't perfect, neither is this half. So the other married men in the room understand what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, so that was the standard, and breaking that up amounts to a rending of flesh if we're going to extend the same metaphor that Moses used for marriage. So when you break up a marriage, it causes severe damage. It's like cutting someone in half. And anybody that's been divorced completely understands what that's like. It's not pleasant. It takes a while to recover. Uh, However, when Moses was leading the people Uh, He had all kinds of folks coming to him saying, I really want to get rid of my wife. My wife is not uh, doing things right. And Moses, in order to keep the peace, caved in and he took this standard and he gave them a way of divorcing. And under certain situations, Moses allowed people to divorce. And usually that involves some kind of infidelity, uh, adultery. Well... Moses encoded that, and I don't have the reference, but but it's there, and uh, Kenny's about to find it because that's what Kenny does. Uh, And so after Moses encoded that, the rabbis then interpreted that Mosaic law. Okay, why don't you read it for us? Oh, no, I just got the reference. Deuteronomy 24.1. 
I find it. You're not going to read it for me? Find me that way. Oh, you're. Okay. Uh, so so th they're taking this broad interpretation of Moses's decree. And the more, and what happens is that once you take a slightly broader interpretation, the next writer, uh, rabbi comes along, looks at that, and interprets it a little more broadly, and then a little more broadly, and then a little more broadly. And over the hundreds of years between Moses and Jesus, uh, it has basically disappeared. Okay, read me the reference. All right. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him, having divorced something wrong with her. He writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she's free to marry another man. And does not please him was interpreted usually to be infidelity or some kind of severe sin, or she's engaging in prostitution. Uh, you know, they interpreted that, but it was, they interpreted it very strictly. And that became to be broader and broader and broader. To the point that at the time of Jesus' time in Jerusalem and the Roman occupation, uh, a Jewish man could divorce his wife simply by writing a letter saying that his wife burned the bread. And this happened. Burned the bread was a cause for divorce. And then you turn that in with your priest and you're divorced. That's it. You can kick your wife out the door and it will be over just like that. Well, no, I don't think they had burning water because it's rather hard to do. Uh, but, you know, that, 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 that's all it took. So even, even in, in, in their day, there were priests that are saying, you know, we're interpreting this a little too easy. You know, marriage is a little more than burning the bread. And so they were arguing about it. But they were hoping that <clears throat> they were trying to get Jesus to go against the rulings of the rabbis which would be enough to say that he is a heretic and they could bring charges against him and even kill him because he was going against the rabbis. So if they could get him to say burning the bread isn't enough, then definitively, then that would be enough. And so, and so that's what this was. It was a trap. And so Christ says, he goes back to what Moses wrote and, and says, you know, you know, you know the rules. Marriage is sacred, and that's where he stopped. Uh, and I think that's it, except for marital, except for adultery. Takes, um, takes two to make a marriage, but one to get a divorce. Yeah. The injured party. Um. I had a com I have a commentator I refer to a lot named McGee who claims that sin is always the cause of divorce. Um, it's not, ne not necessarily infidelity. Sometimes it's selfishness. Um, selfishness? Yeah. You're going with selfishness? Yeah. This single mindset of being single, but they just got somebody on the side. You know, it's legal document. I don't know how to put it, but yeah. I think a lot of people get divorced because of money. True. Money, because that's more important than marriage. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More important than love, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, can't get, 
I don't know. I have been, uh, I'm married a widow and I'm still married to the same woman that I married originally. So there, we haven't had any divorce in our life, which is nice. Been enough other trouble. I know folks though. And I know of one situation where I don't think there was any infidelity, at least not that I can put a finger on. But it just, the, the wife just decided she was done. And the husband did everything within his power to make that happen. Everything. And, and she refused to go to counseling and just didn't love him anymore and they're gone. And, and it was, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, there is a legal way of dissolving divorce, which is basically like a non-contested, mutually agreeable divorce in which both parties decide they just don't care for this anymore and leave. And you could conceivably think that there wasn't any sin in there, but I think, I think there's always sin. Uh, God had this view of marriage as a picture of Christ and the church, the people. And so... Uh, a man is supposed to approach his wife as God approaches the church with forgiveness and, and with understanding and, and there's this relationship there and uh, that's a, a, a type just like all of the other Old Testament types of Christ um, <laughs> the story of the gospel is written into all elements of mankind in all kinds of little signatures and that, that's one of them uh, and, and I think when you rend that apart, uh, it's, it's, it's contrary to the will of God. Um, even though a certain minister of ours just told me this morning that God divorced the people of Israel when he sent them to, uh, into captivity. Well, Angel came in here and tried yeah. to mess up my whole lesson. And it's like, what? What, God isn't far divorced? I, no, no, he divorced a bit. They went, went to, I don't know. You'll have to ask him. I have no idea what he was talking about. Okay, I think that's all I got in divorce. Anybody else want to jump in? I know that's a touchy subject. I don't think God divorced the nation of Israel. I think Nathan and Israel divorced God. I think it was more the reverse. You know, they like, oh. Yeah, God, God, you're not good enough for us. God's We're immutable and doesn't Baal. change. Yeah. We're going to worship God, this God's fish deal God. stays forever. Yeah. You know, we're going to worship this God. And, yeah, they, they're the ones that committed adultery, not God. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Maybe Hinkle got twisted, though. I think he was shooting off the top of his head. But anyway. But anyway. Okay. Or shooting from the hip. I think that's a better expression. Yeah, I've got to get my metaphors right. Or that, that last one didn't make any sense. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, going on to verse 13, we have these short little verses that Matthew felt important to stick in here. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Why is this important? I'm sure Christ talked to several thousand people during this period, but all these multitudes are around. He's healing everybody. 
Uh, Matthew felt it important to include this. In fact, so did Mark. This was, this was important. So we've got a bunch of children. They're, they're not, they don't need healing. We've got lines of people coming up to have their leprosy addressed, you know. And here's some mama that wants Jesus just to touch little Johnny. Just touch little Johnny. Shake his hand. He wants to meet the big man. You know, so, so, some Jew, Jewish Karen just trying to get their kids up to the front. So a wise apostle is uh, saying, you know, why, why, don't, why don't you hang back there? He's really kind of busy with people that really need to talk to him. Uh, Johnny can look on from, you know, past this little velvet rope where I'm going to keep you over here. And Christ was having none of that. And he calls the children to him and he blesses the children. He touches them. He, they sit in his lap and he says hi, like Santa having a picture. And then they go. Is that what's happening here? That's what it seems like is happening here. Well, Jesus is using this to teach, yes. And here's what he says. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. That's the point. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Well, what are these? Is it children? Is there only going to be kids in heaven? Is it about Innocence? Is it about approaching God without any predetermined agendas? Yes. I think, yes. <clears throat> you, I had, okay, I, I have seen commentators that really hang a lot on this verse and they use it to make the point that. Children who die in infancy, their souls go straight to heaven because that's an important thing to tell a grieving mother, you know. Uh, and they use this verse to support that, and I, I don't, I'm not arguing with that idea. Uh, but, but I think there's more to it than this. I think it's about... I think God has an open mind as to how we approach him. He just wants us to approach him. Okay, I'm going to say that first. And if I, in all of my worldliness, approach God, in all of my worldliness, God's still going to take me in my worldliness. So if I go in and say, God, I'm really in a bad way and I'm broke and uh, I can't get my broken arm fi fixed that, you know, that, that I broke in the bar while I was uh, beating up a guy where I was working my way through my alcoholism. By the way, this is totally hypothetical internet. Uh, I, that's not me. Uh, and so uh, if I approach him with this laundry list of needs, and let's be honest, that's how most people first start praying with their laundry list of needs. God, fix my life for me, please. Uh, that's one thing. A prayer petition is legitimate, but that's not all of it. And it shouldn't be first. God wants our company. God wants our praise. God wants our things. God wants 
Honestly, he wants us to just hang. Perhaps not the best choice of words. So, children are coming to him and he's blessing them, but they don't have anything that they particularly want. They're just interested in being and nice. Jesus, and he's Jesus a nice fellow. It's Jesus. And, he's got and, a pure heart. Yeah. And Jesus reflected that because he invited, he, he wanted everyone to hang out with him. Sure. And so if you come to Christ with, with a pure heart and without an agenda and just wanting to be in his presence, that's pretty much what Jesus wants. That's heaven. That's what Jesus wants. That is the picture of what God's wanted from man from the beginning. You know? And so I think that's the picture. It's not that children are necessarily protected from sin i don't think that they really are I, it's not that uh you know we, we could get into the whole age of accountability argument and and when we become capable of sinning and separating ourselves from god i think that happens a lot earlier than you think it does uh i think it's what, what he's really talking about is this it's a picture for adults to come to christ as a child without an agenda and without a laundry list and with, and, and with an open heart and with genuine love. Well, make your point about the whole, uh, I don't know how old it was, but it was before school age, but there's a one first punishment I really remember. Um, as a kid, I can keep it on out here. Oh, I thought you turned it off. Okay, sorry. Um, so as a kid, um, I decided my mom's fingernail polish looks kind of pretty. Oh. So I don't know how old it was, but it would be pretty on me. Oh, of course so, it was. So I got it. It just looked like I just ripped pencil of my heart out and just right all over my hand. I'm shocked and, that and this would happen. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know. So, and, and I, I have the dresser where I painted my nails on today in my house where the red fingernail polish is there. So, yeah, fond memories. So. You still have the dresser with the fingernail polish uh -huh. on it? Uh-huh. Um, wow, Kenny, maybe you should clean the fingernail polish off. No. No? That oh. gives a character. I see. Okay. Um. <laughs> wow. So. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. So, so uh, I know I did something wrong. So I decided to do like this. Oh. And everything was all right. <laughs> Well, oh, you hide oh, it yeah, oh yeah, and, and that, I'm putting my hands behind my back, so you know you can't see that, but yeah. Okay. So, um, or should I say me? Whenever I listen to this later. Um, <laughs> um, and, and of course, now he for the internet, he looks like he's being arrested as he's demonstrating. But yeah, yeah but um, <laughs> so I put my hands behind my back, trying to hide what I did. And of course, you know can't live my, you know, my entire life into my adulthood with hands behind my back, hiding from my mom, you know, yeah. that I basically dipped my hands in fingernail polish, or it looks like I did. So she basically ended up scrubbing, because she had the old-fashioned stuff, so she had to scrub. It was worse than any whooping oh, I, I, I could have got. Burned you up. Huh? Yeah, it was terrible. But yeah. <laughs> But yes, uh, children realize when they do something wrong. Yes, they, they are. And, and a lot earlier than you think. Yes. As I was raising Clay, I kept thinking about age of accountability, what innocence is. But oh my goodness, by the time that child could toddle, 
by the time he was one year old. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he would look around to see if anybody was looking, and then he would do something else. Isn't that sin? You know, he would. He, he, he was pressing the border. The, the, you know, before he could talk, he was pressing the limits. You know, and I'm thinking. When do we become aware? I think our, this, the, the sinful tendency is there. When do we become aware of that sinful tendency? Yeah. And that's where the occasional accountability comes in. And I think that's a discussion for another time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which brings us to the last illustration from 19, which uh, my translation called the rich young man. And I think the King James Version calls the rich young ruler. It depends on... Uh, the, the word in uh, uh, Greek that they used. It, it, it refers to a rich man or a, uh, a man of authority. You know, it, it's, it's the word they're using. Uh, so now a man came to Jesus, this is in verse 16, and, and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He rehearsed that at home before he came in. He wants to make this big proclamation. This is a student trying to impress a professor. Christ said, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Okay, now is that a smart question? Okay, Moses gave you ten commandments. Now, he's a, he's a student of the Bible. Which one of those should I follow? Well, what's the answer, Ron? How many, which one should he follow? All of them. All of them, yeah. duh. They wouldn't have engraved them into the, yeah. into the tablets if it wasn't important. Which ones, the man inquired. And Jesus, it doesn't say he took a deep sigh, but I think he did. And then Jesus rattles off the Ten Commandments. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't. After looking at that, he rattles off seven commandments. And they're the bottom seven commandments. He skips the first three. Is there a difference between the first three and the last seven of the Ten Commandments? The first three all have to do with man's relationship with God. And the last one are man's relationship with his fellow man. This is how you deal with God. This is how you deal with each other. Christ, because he knows who he's talking to, lists the last seven, man's relationship to man. And he says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And he rattled those off just as fast as I just did. And the rich Long Mueller said, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? He is so swelled up and impressed with himself. And Christ answers, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So Christ asks how he's dealing with his fellow man, 
But when Christ basically gives him an order that tests his relationship with God, he fails it because the first commandment is thou shalt now no other gods before me. Well, what is this man's God? What is important to this man? What does this man value more than his relationship with God? His money. <clears throat> yeah. And so if you want to put it in the old ancient school, he, he, he worships mammon, which is how, what the Jews would say because he, he's more interested in his own possessions than, than in, uh, in Christ. Oh, <clears throat> if this man did what Jesus did, I think he would probably end up being the richest man in the world. Sure. Or, or he would have reward in heaven, right. or you know, more wishing more. Uh, but he did not. He goes away, and Christ knew this was going to happen. Yeah. This guy was all puffed up with pride, and he's, he's you know, place. I'm, I'm guessing he was on his way into you know uh, law school or whatever, and he wants to uh, show how good he is and how he should be promoted to the head of the kingdom right here. Because by the way, he thinks this is the Messiah thinks he's about to run the whole wide world because that's what everybody says about the Messiah. If he can get in good with this organization, because Mama told him that before he came, uh, as I fill in this backstory that I don't know is true, uh, <laughs> then uh, you know that, that then, then that's why he's coming in. So you you go get in with that good rabbi and make sure that you're on the on, on the score when he starts handing out the the good the, the bids later, because we want you to be the new governor of Syria. You know that that's 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 the argument I think that's happening. And so he was sent in, but he really, he's, he's self-serving and interested in his own wealth. Now, is he treating his fellow man kindly? Sure, probably just the Jews, but he's treating them kindly. He's following the last seven. He's not committing adultery. He's being a good Jew. But is he really following God? No. <laughs> and so... This is a lesson not just for the man, but just for the disciples. So in verse 23, when Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who can be saved? Okay. This is hard. If you're rich, does that mean you worship money more than God? No. I want to say no. <clears throat> I, I don't know. I would say maybe worship. What do you think? I'll just put that question. What do you say? Is, is, if you're rich, does that mean that you value money more than your relationship to God. Do you have to be poor to be a good Christian? No. no. no I, don't, I don't think that's true. But you can't put the love of money above God. And so, because that becomes idolatry and it goes again. So we should be able to walk away from our money if that's what God wants of us should sell out and go to Greece, Lester. Okay. That private joke, internet. Private joke. Okay. I'm doing my best. Uh, and so, which begs another question. <clears throat> what is rich? 
Are you rich? Are you rich? Honestly, do you think you're rich? No. I don't think I'm rich either. But at the same time, I can get what I want. So I guess I am. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I were actually doing pretty well. We had a pretty good cash flow there when we were both working. And then when she retired and then went back to work and she was drawing two salaries, oh my gosh, we had a great year, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> and we spent it as fast as we got it and we invited people. We, we, we hosted people at the house all the time. Big and dinners. And, and uh, relatives kept coming by and going, you know, can you help me out? And, yeah. you know, we could do that. And, you know, and then sure, I. And then, you were having banquets. Yeah, and then I retired because I got mad at teenagers. And, uh, and suddenly, because I am on a TRS annuity, I'm getting half of my pay. And I have always uh, worked very, very hard for the third of the family income that I bring in. I, I married a powerful woman. And then, and then she got COVID, and then she retired and, uh, again. And so suddenly, she lost a whole salary and she's back to her half of her original salary, and I'm on my original salary, and we kind of been planning for this, but it wasn't supposed to happen for another couple of years. She was gonna work a while, and I was gonna retire and write my books and stuff, and then this, this whole epidemic thing kind of screwed everything up, and now I can't afford carpet. I was gonna, my carpet really needs to be replaced, and I can't afford carpet. And, and I've got a son that moved home because he's kind of in between jobs and I, I don't want him to lose his car and suddenly I've got a new car payment on my list. And I've got my father-in-law living in my, everybody moved into my house as soon as my income went to like a third of what it was before. I was, yeah. I, I was looking good, Kitty, I was. And so now and I'm suddenly running a hotel. Now you think uh, about <laughs> I, 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 trying to avoid that. I keep I've said in a couple of years you might go back. I've Here's offered it to Judy on several occasions and we keep looking at our, our numbers but we're, we're not you know we're, 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 we're still okay. Teach, teach grace to them. Teach, teach, teach the little ones. Be like Jesus. Break the little ones. Let's just put it this way. If I want new carpet I may have to go back to work. So uh, we've been cutting expenses rather than doing anything like that. Okay what is rich though? Am I still rich? Dude, I don't have a job and I've got a pretty nice house. And if I count my son's car, I have three vehicles out front that I paid for. I'm not poor. There, there's, <laughs> see Kevin, there's Americans. Yeah, that's just where I was going with this. I was thinking about how mean I was going to be. You know, it's like uh, I live in a brick house, and I know that Kenny lives in a trailer house. Yeah, I'm richer than. Am I richer than Kenny? Uh, some some might say oh. I'm richer than Kenny, but I know people that live in worse situations than Kenny. Does that mean Kenny is worse than them? Oh wait, let's look at the whole planet, shall we? Let's 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 line up every last household in the planet and then organize them by income. Where does Kenny fall in that list? You're 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 in like the top five percent of world incomes, you know? Compared to Ethiopia, you're living high, you know? 
makes me wonder what people, what people in the other countries think when they see American television. You know, it's like, wow, Americans are filthy rich. You know, that's <laughs> sitcoms. You can tell they're filthy rich. Uh, it's all relative. It's really not what you have. It's, it's, it's your relationship to God. You compare yourself to God. You depend upon his providence. And then we're all rich or equally poor. That's so why in the end, the possessions don't matter. At least that's what I'm saying right now because sometimes I go home and I start worrying about my possessions again, particularly when bills come in. It's a hard thing to keep that perspective. Yeah. All right, have I been mean to anybody or made anybody uncomfortable? I want to apologize if I'm okay, good. A good example of my house, one of the things I'm frustrated about is I bought my son a car, right? Uh-huh. He's paying me back. Now he grew up in motor. So yeah. he got to buy a new motor, now he can't make payment. Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of my first ways of this world. (laughs) Lester, when I was uh, in college, I had a friend named Al, and I hope he's listening, that uh, one of the functions that Al served in my life is when I got deeply depressed about the circumstances in my life and I was mad at my boss and I was mad at my lack of, of uh, ability to advance and, and, and I was upset because my girlfriend didn't like me, this was before I was married, I would go visit Alan and Alan would tell me his hard luck story. And his hard luck story was so much worse than mine that I would feel good about myself and happy that I am not Al. That's how most of our conversations went. You know, it was like he always could top me in disaster and tragedy and depression. And somehow that made me feel better because I was comparing myself to other people. And I was going to say Lester is now taking that position yeah. with me, but that's not true because yeah. it really doesn't fit. The the show, yeah. Doesn't really fit. I had spent another fourteen hundred dollars on a new intercooler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when I bought my son a nice car. I understand. Uh, on my limited income, someday he'll be re- re- really uh, self-sufficient and have a nice family and pay his own bills, and he'll give me nice Christmas presents. That's what I think is going to happen. You don't think that's going to happen? <laughs> No. No. Lester has no hope. I had died one day, and then I realized, wow, Dad, we took care of it. Really? Yeah, okay. I'm sorry, Lester. I'm obviously more optimistic than Lester is. Uh, so. The rich, what, what, we have this rich guy that's, that's worshiping stuff when he shouldn't be worshiping stuff. The stuff in the end doesn't matter. And it's separating himself from, from following Christ and really following the true way. And then Christ says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I have heard preachers say, what that means is he's referring to a specific part of the eastern gate, which was known as a, as a needle, and you could get a donkey through it, but you can't get a camel, because the camel would have to stoop when it goes through the gate. Have you heard this story? Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
McGee rolls his eyes at that and uh, said that's absolutely not what that means. It's literally what it means. They did have needles back in the day that had a little hole that you put the thread through. They could sew. Yeah, yeah, they had needles. And so what Christ is saying is that you can't get this camel and make it go through this tiny little hole. Uh, it is a, a metaphor, and he's basically saying it is impossible for rich people to go to heaven. Now, anybody that is comfortable might see themselves as rich. I think Peter who has his own fishing business, enough that somebody is out there fishing in his boat while he's following Jesus around. He's got a house big enough for all of the disciples to come in and stay with him. Matthew was a tax collector and had a stash somewhere, you know, because he was not a fool. Uh, these were not necessarily poor disciples following him around. And Jesus said that rich people will not be going to heaven. And uh, Matthew stepped over to Peter and whispered in his ear, and Peter said, uh, Jesus, could you clarify that? Because suddenly, he, are you talking about me? Jesus? Jesus, we, 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 we still own our homes, but we ain't at home. We're following you around, you know. Jesus, we're, we, we've given up quite a lot, you know. I, but I would be a little more profitable in my fishing business if I were actually literally there running it. Matthew would be a whole lot richer if he was still a tax collector and not following you around and preaching. Dependent upon the kindness of others, as Christ insisted that they be, they kind of go through this little panic. And uh, what, <clears throat> what people thought about Matthew. Oh, I, you know, I, I know have, hate I'd him. have mixed feelings. They, had a, they hate him as a tax collector. Sure. Do they like yeah. him now who he is? I don't know. He was one of the he preachers. Changed. He definitely changed. He obviously changed. Yeah. So they still hate him? It's the same story with Paul. Paul is their executioner. Yeah. You know? Peter was a scummy little fisherman. I mean, compared to a, you know, a, a, a Pharisee, uh, they wouldn't want to go eat in his house. It's too smelly. He's too common. He's too blue collar. There, 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 there's a class system in the society, and you don't hang out with those kind of folks. Uh, you know, all of the disciples had some kind of questionable past. There were assassins in there, and tax collectors, and traitors, and he had quite the. Uh, collection of ruffians following him around and they're the preachers and they're having healing sessions I think if you go to the tax collector who's healing you of your leprosy maybe you're going to go to the tax collector you know I think actions and words speak louder than history also the last thing that you did is far more important than the thing that you did last week that's been true of an employment forever so if you have a horrible, okay, let me explain. You used to be that way. America ain't that way anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, is it time already? Yeah. I'm barely toward the end. Okay, let me rush through. Uh, Peter answered, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? 
And so Jesus reassures them instead of calling them stupid like he has every time they question him for the last uh, chapter or two. I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, and this is, is that the end of time? That's way down the road. The renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you will have fo- uh, you who will have followed me uh, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And I think this is what would have been said if this rich young guy had went, okay, I'll sell all my stuff and follow you. He would have followed up with that. You know? And so he basically tells his disciples that they're going to uh, prosper. Okay, I forgot what my other point was, and we're obviously out of time. Uh, We will pick up in verse 20 next week. And so this is Kevin Evans signing off.